Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the club that you're going to want to join. We're the voice of rare disease, and this jingle doesn't rhyme. My name is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to NordPod, right here on the Offscript Media Network. Now, I've been advocating on behalf of cancer and rare disease patients for over 20 years. Why? Because I am one. NordPod is the official podcast of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. And a quick reminder before we get started, that if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other listeners like you discover the show. Now, let's get started. Hello there, friends. Welcome back to NordPod, the voice of rare disease. This is Matthew Zachary. We got a great show for you today. Kari Luther Rosbeck is the president and CEO of the TSC Alliance, a nonprofit founded in 1975 to search for a cure for tuberous sclerosis, a genetic disorder that causes non-malignant tumors to form in different organs, primarily the brain, eyes, heart, kidney, skin, and lungs. It's also the leading genetic cause of epilepsy and autism, typically in children. Kari has an incredible backstory. She wanted to be an actress. She started a theater company at 21 years old, but left after losing her daughter to sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS. But she wanted to make a difference and put her pain to purpose and join the American Refugee Committee to support the refugee crisis in Bosnia-Herzegovina in the 1990s. I'm going to wrap the intro with a quote from the American Refugee Committee, which applies so much to today's advocacy. Everyone has the power to make changes through democratic co-design. And she's done just that after nearly 20 years of leadership at the TSC Alliance. Kari is magnetic, dynamic, and inspiring. You're going to love this conversation. Enjoy the show. Kari Luther Rosbeck, welcome to NordPod. Thank you, Matthew. It's such a pleasure to be here. I always like to start with my random common threads, and this is a really random common thread. We are both SUNY graduates from New York, and we're both musical theater nerds, and we, <laughs> and we wanted to start like theaters in our 20s. That's right. In New York City, of course. Where yes, else? Yes. All right. So in an ideal setting, what theater would you have started? Well, I did start a theater company in New York. It was called the Any Theater Company, Albany slash New York. And for four years, we did uh, plays out of the church basement. I'll not say what denomination, but a church basement. We did summer readings in Central Park at the Alice in Wonderland statue. And we did 
winter play for children uh, in a library. So we just used all the spaces that were available to us. Straight shows and musicals or just one or the other? Pretty much straight plays, new, new works in particular. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm a musical theater guy. I'm, I'm a concert pianist by trade, and I was doing music direction in undergraduate and in high school. So, you know, I think Sondheim, Sondheim recently died last year and like been in yes. mourning ever since. <laughs> like, I can't get oh. over the one guy I wanted to meet before he died, and I didn't get to do it. So, but um, I'm channeling my inner Jonathan Larson. When I uh, when I wished that I had met him and he showed up at my at my rehearsal one day, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. So was that what you wanted to do when you grew up, theater? I did my entire life. I was writing and producing plays at age six in my neighborhood. Wow, wow. How do you write what you know when you're six? Is it like you know what are you writing when you, that you know when you're six? It, well, coincidentally, music theater, of course. Yes. So, you know, popular music that you hear, you turn it into some storyline. You get all the neighborhood kids together. I remember there being a red wagon and rolling somebody in, singing a song, rolling them out. What was your favorite part as a kid to play? Yeah, um, the warrior leader. Oh, yes. Were you ever Annie? Nope, never Annie. I was Charlie Brown three times. I think it speaks volumes <laughs> to my character. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really amazing. And then, of course, like life happens. Life gets in the way. Yep. The uh, inner Yogi Berra, if it were easy, we'd all do it. Conversation starts to happen. And here you are as a young adult just getting your life started. And no one asked to be an advocate, but talk to us about how this all fell on you. Yeah. So I was living in Minneapolis at the time and just had my first child, my daughter, Noelle, who was born around Christmas time. And at two months and six days, she died of sudden infant death. And for me, I love theater, but I needed to do something more profound, something that would help other parents, other families not ever have to feel the way I felt. And so I dedicated my life to nonprofits that serve families first in international relief and development, and that, and now 20 years at the TSC Alliance. Yeah, and we're going to get to all the TSC conversations. Clearly on the show, it's very important to the listenership and, and the narrative. But it, it was just so coincidentally timely that we can go back 20 years into your past even further and talk about like the refugee crisis was... Not really. This is pre-internet, right? Listeners, pre-internet, yeah. light before the internet. <laughs> How did anything get done, we ask, right? <laughs> and yet things got done. You know, uh, the timeliness, of course, is that the refugee crisis now with Ukraine and yes. that we're learning, you know, refugees are of all different colors. It's the exact same thing across the board. And talk to us about, like, how did that help you channel your real desire to make a difference? Well, I was at the American Refugee Committee, that's what it was called at, at the time, and there were crises in Rwanda, there were crises in Bosnia and Croatia, that part of the world. There were families, obviously, in crisis. My job was to raise money to get relief to them uh, in terms of getting them to a camp where they would be safe, where they could be fed, where they weren't under gunfire um, and providing with the basic needs of life and then helping to 
make sure they got to a more permanent location or got to return home when war was over. But, you know, with that comes all the psychological things that war causes. And so being a part of that cycle of getting families the immediate relief they needed, making sure they had all of the necessities, they were warm, they had a shelter over their head, they were fed, they were safe. You know, those were all the things that really filled my cup at that time. The website for what is now called Alight, formerly the American Refugee Committee that you worked at, everyone has the power to make change through democratic co-design. I love that line. I, I, I'm sure they didn't write it or someone else's, but what a great framework for allowing yourself the permission to live and breathe inside the nonprofit world for so many years, correct? Yes, that's right. That's right. So I can only imagine that having that incredible international experience, which again, like get out of the country, people like experience the world. Maybe, you know, maybe not as down the like deep end of the pool of refugee, but that's really giving of yourself. But learning about other cultures, other other countries, other universes that aren't limited to this country. How did that help inform you about where you wanted to take yourself? Well, I, I remember taking a group of donors to Bosnia right after the, the war. I, I had two other children at this time. And it was right after the bombing in Kenya. And there'd been this notice that went out that you shouldn't go to any embassies, etc., particularly in Muslim countries. And I looked down at that notice and we're sitting in the embassy in Sarajevo. And I had that rush of, oh my gosh, I shouldn't even be sitting here. Something terrible is going to happen. But that sense of sacrifice for the betterment of others. And I think that has carried through the rest of my life, that it's not about me and my career. It's about giving to others, sacrificing for others, uh, inspired by my own daughter, and that her life has meaning through me. I think, you know, we're bonding. I'm a, the listeners know this, I, I ran a nonprofit that I founded called Stupid Cancer for 15 years and carrying the weight of the burden of being the executive of, or even just rising in the ranks of nonprofit leadership this notion of me versus we, I don't get that. We should all be we, correct? That's right. Exactly right. That's exactly right. We cannot accomplish anything in our nonprofits without board visionary and strategic thinking and setting you know, all of the guidelines for our operations. And we can't do it without the staff that implements those programs hand in hand with the community that are your ambassadors that they are empowered to help make change for, for themselves, their families, the next generation that is living with the disease. I, I think all of those things have to work together. So let me go back to your inner theaterician. <laughs> I'll make a word up here. Your inner wanting to be on stage. Does yes. having those skills come in handy for leadership? I think they come in extremely handy. So, you know, part of acting is listening. And so that is a skill you have to hone. You listen and respond. I took four years of improv when I lived in New York. So being able to spontaneously or immediately be able to listen and respond and to think on your feet. And then of course, in my role, I give lots of speeches 
I do lots of webinars. I do podcasts. I film. All of that has come in handy in terms of getting across the real messages that we want heard. I couldn't agree more. I'm nodding my head here on, on, the, on the radio. Nodding my head on the radio. <laughs> the idea that theatrics or learning, I think, you know, improv everywhere should be like a mandatory like a, like a like a development thing for executives. You should all try your hand at just getting on stage, <laughs> channeling your inner stage fright. It speaks volumes to just be able to realize that theatrics isn't just overacting and melodrama. It, it is genuine human engagement and appreciating what comes out of other people's energies to read and help them with empathy, correct? Being in the moment. That's right. Which drove you to start working at the? Well, I, I wrote this down because I was I was stalking on um, on GuideStar. Um, I love when nonprofits change their names over like you know <laughs> seventy years. <laughs> it, was a, it used to be called the National Tuberous Sclerosis Association Inc. Right. <laughs> That's right. Became the Tuberous Sclerosis Complex. Became the TS Alliance. Founded in 1975 by four moms who had kids that had the syndrome. I love when moms get together and just get things done. Right. So it, our, our legal name is still the National Tuberous Sclerosis Association, Inc. We did business as a Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance up until May of last year when we changed our name to a new DBA, which is the TSC Alliance. And the reason we did that is... The genes, the name of the disease is tuberous sclerosis complex or TSC. But when we did change the DBA in the early 2000s to the tuberous sclerosis alliance, those things were kind of out of alignment. Right. And so we just, we simplified it. When, when I would go give speeches, people would call me the president and CEO of the TSC alliance anyway. So right. it was an evolution, not a revolution. And I think it just simplified things for our organization. It's exactly like when Federal Express became FedEx, except different. Yes. <laughs> or UPS, right? Right. United Parcel Service. Look it up, kids. Go to Google. Things used to have other <laughs> names. I love, you know, with, with my nonprofit hat on, my former nonprofit, I love that you run this organization very much like a business. You know, it's so easy yes. to get caught up in that the 501c3 status. It's a whole other, you know, uh, therapy session. It's nonprofit people that you can get caught up in like, oh, we're just a charity. We're handouts. Please give us money. This is a purpose-driven corporation that happens to have a tax status that's irrelevant to you needing to accomplish your goals. And you've been there 20 years. My God, like I started my nonprofit in 2006, and it's a rare elite group that understand the evolution of building a community and leading a nonprofit before the dawn of the internet. Can you talk about the early life cycle of getting this where it was from, you know, I'll just say like pre 2000s, post 2000s? Yeah. So I started here in 2001. We had a website, but very elementary new web, right? And there was internet, but it was a little complicated. It was the dial in, you know, Yahoo. But what there wasn't was social media, mm. which really changed the game. I think we did have internet. I did so many conference calls day, night. That was really the connection, but also 
getting out in person. I know that that's hard to think about, especially after we've all been shuttered for two years, but I went and sat in people's living rooms and church basements and hospital conference rooms and gathered community. Oh my goodness, we had to send mail. We had to send letters out to people to invite them to meetings. You remember when licking stamps was a punishment? that I imposed on my children. Yes. So I have four <laughs> children. And when we had to like send out mailings, they all were around our kitchen table helping stuff and, and lick stamps. Right. I had an internship at Cartier, just a random story. And during, uh, I think my sophomore year of college, the summer, and all I did was lick stamps for like this major gala. I like <laughs> 5,000 stamps and I, I, I had like no saliva left. After the end of like two months, I could not produce a life. Anyway, the, we're, we're channeling life before the internet when mail was a thing, actual physical mail. That's right. So I want to get to this uh, on the second half of the, the show because it's really important. But this, I want to talk about how long it takes to actually make a drug and that uh, you actually have <laughs> led to a drug for epilepsy that I want to get to that. But let's talk about life before the human genome project. Because I worked in that space, advocacy was limited to like seven medications for everything. We didn't know anything about anything, and we did our best. So what was the status for people affected by this disease in the 2000s? So in the early 2000s, when I started, there were medications to treat different symptoms of TSC. You mentioned epilepsy is one. So there were certain epilepsy drugs you could try to control seizures in TSC. We called all of these things band-aids. You know, you could have surgeries for kidneys or lung transplants for lamb because there were no interventions with, with medications at that point. And I felt like our job was to hold people's hands through those rough times, but we weren't on the prevention side of things, right? We weren't stopping the devastation from happening in TSC. So that's pre-specific drugs for TSC. Right. And even oncology and hematology and any disease pretty much, like if we're like sit back and take it and do your best. Right. That's exactly right. And and really pre-2000s, people didn't live as long as they they do today with TSC. Today with TSC, we say you can live a full life. It's just a matter of quality of life. And that's what we're working on now. So we're going to take a break, hop on a DeLorean and come back to the future, which is 2022 and talk about amazing progress. We'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. 
It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So if I'm Doc Brown, do you want to be Marty or you want to be Lorraine? I'm Lorraine, of course. Oh, right, you're Lorraine, of course. And it's 2022. We're taping this now. It's hopefully sort of post-pandemic, but we're many, many years past the Human Genome Project. Science is fantastic. Drug development is, is on fire. And you alluded to the fact that people today affected by this condition are way better off with an asterisk, correct? Yes. So let's discuss the patient experience. I hate that term. Someone's got to invent something better than that. But what is it like for, I, I think I was reading that uh, there's 50,000 Americans facing this condition and one in 6,000 births. Am I got that right? That's right. Okay. Yep. I did my homework. Okay. I tried to do my homework. You did. And this is something you're born with. It's in utero or it's congenital. It's passed down. It can be passed down. That's about a third of the cases, but two thirds of the cases are spontaneous mutation, meaning neither parent had it. It's not in the family. Okay. And so it's, it is categorized as a genetic disorder. Yes, it is. And what, how does it manifest? Uh, I would imagine like many of the things it's like you, you might get misdiagnosed for a while. Yeah. So TSC itself causes tumors to grow throughout the body generally non-cancerous tumors. So you can get tumors in the brain and some calcified tubers. That's what gives the name tuberous. Um, you can get tumors on the skin, heart, kidney, liver, lungs. It is variable, meaning no two people are impacted exactly the same way, not even identical twins. Wow. And I, I have, I have uh, fraternal twins, but you just triggered the fact that I have fraternal twins. But you said you have four kids, so you're winning the parent battle right now. Luckily, yes. <laughs> a blessing and a curse, I suppose. All right. So, all right. Randomly developing tumors throughout your body is terrifying. Is there a specific age at which this is traditionally discovered at? So many of the cases are discovered in infancy when babies begin having seizures. And a third to 40% of babies with TSC will develop infantile spasms. So that is a catastrophic type of seizure because it's like an electrical wave going through a newborn's brain. It can look like a head nod or a startle reflex. It happens in clusters several times a day. Sometimes these babies can have up to 100 of these seizures. So speeding up to 2022, there is a specific treatment that's very effective in TSC to stop these infantile spasms. And the other amazing thing that the TSC Alliance has been involved with, with our clinical research consortium, is the first preventative clinical trial for epilepsy in the United States. And the results uh, come out this year of the first um, kind of endpoint 
So we'll see if, if it worked. And, and that would change the course of this disease because infantile spasms, early seizures are kind of the beginning of a cascade. Seizures can cause developmental delays. If you don't get them under control, you can go on to have refractory epilepsy. Uh, in two-thirds of the cases of those that have seizures in TSC, they have refractory epilepsy through a lifetime. So even though, yes, TSC is much better today than it was 20 years ago, we still have people that struggle. And, and we're trying desperately to find solutions for everybody in our community. I had a guest on my other show out of patience recently, and I asked her, what are the proudest moments of your life? She said, holding my child in my hand for the first time and getting a drug passed by the FDA. And I would assume those are, I mean, they're different, but it must feel fantastic to help actually invent something from scratch that would not have existed if you didn't do it. Well, what's amazing is Everybody in our community talks about the Chantilly Conference in 2002, and that's when we found the connection between our genes, the mammalian target of rapamycin, or mTOR. There was a drug already on the market and very quickly went into about 11 clinical trials for all types of manifestations in TSC, and by 2010, that drug was approved to shrink a certain type of brain tumor called a subappendable giant cell astrocytoma. And brave 28 patients in TSC, hugely impactful, a huge effect, and it was approved on that phase two trial while phase three was ongoing. Amazing. And for, wait, and for the cheap sits in the back, that's astonishing if you don't know what that means. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Extremely astonishing, right? That's why we repurpose drugs in rare diseases, because you can get them to market more quickly. Right. And that kind of speaks to, I mean, we're not mentioning any particular products on this show, but there are breakthrough drugs in oncology that were originally designed for like one body part, and now they help like 30 body parts, but they also help things that aren't even in oncology. So you've developed like a gateway molecule that can serve so many different functions and purposes. That, that it can't be understated. Like this is the rotary phones of 50 years ago to like the Star Trek spaceship stuff today. That is exactly right. And that same molecule was then approved to treat tumors in the kidneys and then as adjunctive therapy seizures. And that's because it works on the underlying pathway in TSC, not just the Band-Aid that we'd seen before, but really impacting the underlying disease. You mentioned that TS is a linchpin disease, meaning it's a gateway to other things if you don't nip it in the bud. Is that correct? Yeah. So in TSC, I already talked about epilepsy and doing the first preventative clinical trial in epilepsy. This could be repeated in other rare diseases where epilepsy is a, a huge issue. TSC causes non-cancerous tumors to grow. So there's a connection to potential cancer treatments. And then TSC, about 50% of individuals with TSC will also have autism. And we know from imaging in the brain that autism and TSC most looks like autism in the general public. And that some of the research we're doing in TSC can have implications on autism in the general public. So the initiative is called Unlock the Cure. And I've always been a stickler for the word cure because we don't really know what that word means. 
you know, cure is so user definable. But if it means in this case, we can help you actually not suffer nearly as much and to give you a normal life, I'll take it. Is that how you were defining this? That's exactly right. We want to turn TSC from a devastating disease to a chronic disease, meaning that there will be medications that you can take throughout a lifetime, some preventatively, so that you can live a normal life. Yeah, this is the how a bill becomes a law story. It takes a very, very you mentioned like this started in 2002, three, four, and here we are 20 yep. years later. Does it have to take this long? Are there new things happening that you're aware of that could cut this down to maybe five years instead of 20? I don't know about that because we have to do rigorous science, right? We need to take the steps that are going to prove that these medications are efficient and effective, right? So I don't know that you could speed it up to five years. We, we need to do the right testing, the right clinical trials. We're going to have to hop back on the DeLorean and go further in the future. That's right. I think that's right. What I will say is the nonprofits that are starting now and, and, and putting a foot into patient-driven research collaboratives they're like light speeds ahead. They've got biosamples, they've got research collaboratives, um, they've got mouse models, like things that took us, we're going to be 50 years old in 2024. It took us much longer to get to that point. They know their genes. Um, once we knew our genes, everything kind of sped forward. I, I think the organizations that are being formed today have hope because you are light speed. <laughs> like the advances are so much quicker today than when we started almost 50 years ago. Right. And, and just bolting onto that, 20 years ago, nonprofits are even more siloed than ever before at that time. And it was so hard to like, you know, it's a get off my lawn mentality. And I've seen this massive trend. I'm sure you'll, you'll nod your head on the radio as I say this. Collaboration is the new competition. And because our genes are now is defining us and not necessarily what's specifically wrong with us, these collaboratives are, I'm agreeing with, they are actually getting things done more quickly. And I even noted on your advisory team, you have leadership from other nonprofits that are tangential and related to your cause. Yeah, we, uh, we have several, it's part of our core values, first of all, collaboration. We have been part of a collaboration that's been really impactful, the Infantile Spasms Action Network. We raise awareness about infantile spasms, the importance of early diagnosis and appropriate treatment. We work hand-in-hand -hand with the LAM Foundation, so lymphangiomyomatosis is caused from the same gene mutation as TSC, and we our sister organization, we work closely on research grants, research conferences, regional patient conferences. We work together at the American Thoracic Society Public Advisory Roundtable. We just, they're such an, an incredible collaborative organization, and I love them so much. Then we work with the Rare Epilepsy Network. So those are all other rare epilepsies and trying to find commonalities between us, just what you said. Are there things that we can do? Are there treatments we can look at together? We're also part of the Seizure Action Plan Coalition with the LGS Foundation and the Dravet Foundation. LGS, TSC, and Dravet are three rare epilepsy syndromes that lead to numerous seizure types and numerous seizures. And so 
when companies are looking at developing drugs for epilepsy, they usually look at our three organizations and we work behind the scenes together on all things. But seizure action plans are really important because there are seizure emergencies and families need to be ready for when that happens. And so we are part of a coalition raising awareness about the importance of seizure action plans. So those are just a few of the collaborations we're involved with. Yeah, I mean, lots of acronyms, but they all really matter. That's right. <laughs> exact. Yes, lots of acronyms, yes. But again, the only thing that's really ever changed anything are people like you. And it's up to people like us to be the voice of those who don't really want to ever have to shop in this store, but we're here to help them shop when they get here and make their shopping experience not as terrible. How's that? That's right. I love it. <laughs> Last week, this is just an example of it. It was the first time we brought our community back together. And I cannot tell you how beautiful and meaningful it was to see members of our community join hand in hand for the first time in two years. The last time we were all together was March of 2020. And it's just so powerful. It's just so powerful. Well, in a wonderfully awkward metaphoric thing, uh, one flame goes out, but the earth stays on fire. So we hope everyone is still safe and doing their best getting by in this, we say, the trying times, <laughs> endless trying That's... times. But I like to look at progress. I like to look at footprint. You are an extraordinary nonprofit leader. I commend you on running a tight ship. And that's through a very captious lens of nonprofit management. And um, it's extraordinary. Where can listeners learn more about Unlock the Cure? How do they get involved? Please go to our website at tscalliance.org, or you can go to Facebook or Instagram. Everything is TSC Alliance. We'd love to have you get involved. We are happy to offer advice, be a mentor to other rare leaders. We are happy to share our experiences to make your road easier. And well-branded, I'll add. Nice job on keeping everything consistent across all digital strategy. Very purposeful. We have a great senior VP of strategic communications. Kari Luther Rosbeck is the president and CEO at the TSC Alliance. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on NordPod and sharing all of your wisdom and your strength with us. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your rare disease story in your own voice by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Health. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary, Leslie Nordstrom, and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Valerie Mockin and Noah Jones. NordPod is recorded by Matthew Zachary and mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. Or visit us on the web at offscript.com. For more information about Nord, visit nordpod.org.